Dear young African, in the words of Michelle Obama, history has shown us that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own. Welcome to Dear Young African with me, Nana Fredia Ajamai. In this podcast, we have only one message for the young African listening. Don't give up. Your excuses are valid, but so are your dreams. And this is the place to come to when you need to remind yourself of that truth. In this podcast, we will be speaking to those Africans who keep going to inspire others to do same. So, dear young African, if you're listening, this is for you. Racism. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie calls it the original sin of the United States, but it is also the sin of many other countries. I had my first taste of what many would call a racist encounter in a city called Zhangjiakou, about three hours away from Beijing in China. I was leaving a hospital after doing some medical tests and I got into an elevator heading to the ground floor. It was myself and two other Chinese people. It was silent, everybody minding their own business until we got to another floor. The elevator door swung open and we made room for others to join us. There before us was a Chinese woman and her little girl, both with a frantic look as if they had just seen their worst nightmare. Their worst nightmare was the black man in the elevator minding his own business. My eyes met hers and she quickly grabbed her little girl and made sure she took cover right behind her. Of course they refused to join the ride down to the ground floor. A loving mother wasn't going to risk her life and that of her daughters by sharing the elevator with a young, dangerous black man. I was in absolute shock back then. I'd heard the rumors of how some Chinese people were utterly ignorant about black people but hearing the story and being the object of the story are two different things. Racism is expressed in different forms. It's not only in an unfair court trial, how a company hires based on the names of the applicants or who we choose to share the elevator with. It is also in who we choose to do business with and invest in. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Tino Chibebe, a young Zimbabwean man who now lives in Belgium. He shares how and why your looks could be a key determinant of how you're treated in the venture capital space in Belgium. His book, The Black Opportunity, Conversations on Belgian Venture Capital and Afropian Entrepreneurship, explores how the inclusion of black voices will shape the world for generations to come. Let's dive into the conversation. Hi, Tino. Welcome to the Dear Young African podcast. Hey, Nana. Thank you for having me. I paused there for a while because I didn't know whether to say Tino Tender or I I, I don't know if you you keep Tino for the very close people to the Tender for, you know, the strangers. You know what? (laughs) You know what? Like, I've been getting that question a lot now. Oh, have you? Is it Tino (laughs) or is it Tino Tender? Um, But like... I don't know, Tino's just like quick, straight to the point. Like yeah. I know who's being addressed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then Tino Tender is a bit long, like 
Yo, right. What does it mean of Tino Tenda? To just say my name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tino Tenda. Um, so one thing I come from Zimbabwe. I'm Shauna speaking, yeah. and our names have a tendency to refer to God, like oh, a deity right. of some sort, right? So Tino Tenda, like, literally means we thank, right? But there's the unsaid, like, we thank God. Okay. Okay. Right. So, like, my mom's name is Tatenda, which means we right. have thanked. Okay. But we've thanked, like, the you know implicit God, you know, mm-hmm. or family or ancestors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like, you know, there's like a implicit other. Right. Okay. So, long story short, my name is Tatenda, which means we thank. We thank. Okay. How about you? Like, what's what's your full name, and like, uh, what does your name mean? So my full name is Nana Fredia Jamai. Um, okay. Nana means king, which I usually say. So I spent some okay. time in China, and in China, Nana is is the is a lady's name, actually. Okay. So it's not a guy's name. So whenever I introduce myself as Nana, people look at me weird and say, "But you are a guy." <laughs> then yeah. I had to sort of. So that's how I came up with Nana means king. So I had to start explaining what Nana represents. In Ghana, you can call a lady Nana, I call right. um, a, a gentleman Nana. And mm. Fredia, Fredia is my middle name, Adjamai. Adjamai is like the custodian of the land. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and talking of thanks, I have to say thanks to Rogari, who is a mutual friend and, you know, hit yeah, me up yeah, and yeah. said, you, you know, you have to speak to this guy. And I did, had no idea who you were. And I went to look at the yeah. profile, seeing the great things they're doing. I was like, definitely, man. I need to speak <laughs> to him. And you are the first Zimbabwean on the podcast. So, oh, uh, really? What? Did, hey, shout uh, out to you for having a Zimbabwean on the podcast. Of course. I, I have deep ties with Zimbabwe. That's another <laughs> episode. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. I want to start off our, our conversation with a quote I, I read recently. And okay. here it goes. It says, I am at war with people that don't want to see me win. I have people that don't believe that I can win. Today, I will prove them wrong by being productive. Uh-huh. Making the right choices and being on my way to creating access to massive wealth for people of African descent all over the world. Day by mm-hmm. day, I am getting closer to this goal. I can feel it. I can touch it. I fear nothing. I can accomplish everything and anything. I am the captain of my ship and master of my soul. Today <laughs> is going to be a great day. Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had anyone read that back to me. Ah, so there you it go. sounds crazy like hearing it back from someone else. what is going through your head right now um yeah like when i hear that i'm like wow like okay that's just a reminder of what i wake up on a day-to-day basis trying to achieve so yeah. like for your listeners i maybe you need to explain like where you got that from. yeah 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 i'll, I'll get to that <laughs> we'll get to that so okay, okay. yeah for anyone listening this this is tino's morning quote and i i do have a version of that myself uh not yeah. the same words but i do have my own version and i read that i was like wow that is so powerful and uh-huh. uh this is an, an, an article that you wrote uh i think on your yeah. medium page uh, a couple uh-huh. of years ago uh about you know your morning routine and your evening routine and th- this was part of something that is that something you still do are you able to still do it each and every day yeah for sure so like i have like shortened it quite a bit okay um, so for example like when i work out it's no longer like an hour 
is 30 minutes. Right. Um, so there are parts of my routine that I've tweaked a little bit, just like, you know, to shorten it. But like, in principle, everything is kind of still the same. Like I've been able to maintain it. And yeah, it's helped me out a lot. Right, right. There is a lining that I want us to talk about. Uh, you say, uh-huh. uh, being on my way to create an access to massive wealth for people of African descent all over the world. Yeah. Why, why this humongous task? <laughs> so the task is humongous because I think life goals, like for example, purposes, aren't meant to be accomplished within, you know, maybe three years or two right. years or five years, right? Because you might like find yourself like having accomplished that thing and then it's like, now what? Yeah. Having such a big like goal that's like insurmountable by me or anyone else in multiple lifetimes keeps me going. Right. And it's like, you know, there's always progress forward, but I'll never get there. But I can always, like, improve. I can always, like, work on it. I can always make progress. And I can always make, like, a large step or a small step. But, like, I know that that's my North Star. And all of my decisions I'm going to make, like, career-wise, you know, what I choose to write about, et cetera, is going to serve that purpose. Right. So that's why it's such, like, a big goal. Because I know, like, you can never accomplish it. So that means to the day I'm 99 years old, like, knock on wood if I get there. (laughs) I can still like wake up and work on that. Right. I see where you're coming from. And yeah. on this podcast, I love to talk about purpose because I think everyone yeah. asks the question, why, why me? Or, you know, what am I doing here at some point in your life? And uh-huh. for you, it seems like this is, would you say this is your purpose statement? Yeah, for sure. And how did you come to that? Um, interesting question. Um, so I came to that after doing a lot of reading. So um, early on in university, um, I was just like depressed to be very honest. And that depression uh, was probably stemming from a sense of like not belonging, a sense of being lost, a sense of, you know, like, yeah, I'm in school, but I don't really know like what the point is, what the purpose is, blah, 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 all those kinds of things. And, you know, I just started, uh, so like, my mother is like you know big time part of my support system so I just asked my mom like whilst I was going through this like yo I'm going through this terrible time like what should I do and she's like hey maybe pick up a book right and I was like okay fine my mom knows best whatever so I just like google online and I'm just like okay what do I want to read about and at that time I had a lot of frustrations um, regarding uh, race uh, you know socioeconomic statuses of you know, black people specifically. Mm. And I was just like, okay, fine. I Googled, um, you know, something in Amazon, like black people, um, economics or whatever. Right. And then um, the miseducation of the Negro came up Ooh. by Carter Goodson, Goodwin. I forgot his name. Um, listeners, please uh, correct me on that one. <laughs> we'll fact check but that I, one. Yeah, for sure. But I picked up that book and... I read it and it gave me a lot of direction in terms of how to think about, you know, um, the plight of black people all over the world right now. Like, why does it happen? Where does it come from? And how do you solve for it? So that was basically the root 
of, you know, um, coming up with this purpose, like reading that book. I also then read a lot of Chimamanda, a lot of Chinua mm. Achebe. And then I was just like informing myself with like, you know, um, our history as black people, both right. like on the African continent, in the US, in Europe as well. And then an amalgamation of doing that reading and also being part of a student finance organization. Yeah. Like those two ideas were married and then, you know, I came up with that purpose. Right. But let's go way, way, way back. Like, yeah. I am thinking, you know, how does someone become aware to the extent that they, they start looking at the world from the lens of, of seeing, okay, racism, I'm concerned about race, I'm concerned about being mm-hmm. a black person. Mm-hmm. I was raised in Ghana, certainly never yeah. felt like I, that was a necessary question to ask. Mm-hmm. Is this because you had moved to Belgium then or, you know, tell us, tell us a bit of that. Yeah, 100%. So like in Zimbabwe, like my doctor's black, my president is black, mm-hmm. my teacher's black. Like I don't have any limitations of like what I can do because like everywhere that I can potentially see myself like uh, being one day in my life like yeah. I can see like representation of that but then when I came to Belgium like that was flipped on its head like you right. know I definitely see like you know black people tend to do certain things and white people tend to do everything mm. you know and I I always it's kind of a dark joke but I always tell my friends like the day I found out I was black was when I came to Belgium you hear a lot because, of people say that yeah for sure because like I then became very aware of what my skin color means Mm. it also like affects like micro decisions of like okay where do I sit on a bus where do I make myself least threatening on my way to school just walking oh I should probably cross the street because I don't want to make someone else feel you know Mm. it's like small things like that yeah Um, I am trying to grow out of that claim space, you know, but it's difficult because, you know, yeah, racism is seemingly ever present all around us. Right. What is the worst experience of racism that you've had personally? That's a tough question. Um, I wouldn't say like I've had like super overt racist racist experience. Like I wouldn't say like I've been beaten up for being black or you know, um, being called the N-word, for example. Right. But I do, like, have little, like, instances where it's just like, huh, that probably happened because I'm Black. Mm. Um, So I'll tell two stories. So the first one is I was out with my friends, you know, having a good time on a night out. And um, out of everyone in the club, like, this guy comes straight to me and he's like, yo, (laughs) are you selling weed wow right (laughs) and like you know to everyone else like who's listening who may not be black like they might be like yeah he was just trying to figure out if you're selling weed but like yeah you know what that means (laughs) i know what that means (laughs) There there were a bunch of people in our friendship group that you didn't approach right who were in the area you came straight to me Mm. asking if you know i can buy weed so that's one i can Definitely think I can attribute that to racism. Right. Um, the second instance wasn't necessarily directed to me, but just 
you know, black people in general. So I'm at a Christmas party and um, we start talking about airplanes for some mm. reason. And then um, I think the, the party brought up an airplane that, would, that was made in Cote d'Ivoire. It's either an airplane made in Cote d'Ivoire or an airline from Cote d'Ivoire. I can't remember the specifics, but what I do remember was there was a quick comment that was made like, oh, but can it fly? <laughs> so the the comment obviously like landed with everyone in there who was majority white and they all laughed mm. but I was wondering to myself like had he substituted that country Cote d'Ivoire for a European country would the joke have landed mm. Mm. is there still a joke if you say oh it's a German plane but can it fly right nobody nobody even thinks of laughing yeah it's like what are you trying to say Mm. but because it's Ivory Coast everyone knew what they were laughing at and I think the joke itself was rooted in racism right you've become very self-aware living in Belgium for how many years now 10 10 wow do you call it out now even amongst your friends among social gatherings are you able to call it out and say oh would that joke have landed if it was you know not Ivory Coast (laughs) and, and, and Germany are you able to call it out now yep What's actually fascinating is that when I came from Zimbabwe, I'd say I would call it out even more so mm. when I was new to Belgium than I do now. Because that's actually something interesting. I've never thought about that, like why I've sort of, you know, calmed down on the calling stuff out. I guess like these days I write books about it as opposed <laughs> to like, you know, <laughs> calling it out like in the time. Um, but yeah, when I first came to Belgium, like, if someone would say a racist joke at school because this happened a lot right yeah. in high school like yeah, kids are dumb but they're also racist mm-hmm. so they'll say like a racist joke and I'll be like hey that's racist do you think that's funny like I'll call that yeah. out you know right. and like I would make the room awkward and yeah. I'd be kind of singled out as like hey yo don't make those types of jokes around this guy you know uh, that's yeah it's it's good you are calling it out so I'll tell you so I live in the UK and yeah. last week I was at an event and I I get in there's a, it's a corporate event and the the attendant at the door uh asks for my surname. I say Ajamai, she looks through, I spell it for her, obviously she can't spell it. And yeah, <laughs> she maxes it, right? <laughs> she maxes it and she says, Are you here to volunteer? I said, Am I here to volunteer to serve drinks? <laughs> <laughs> You literally just mag my name on the list of attendants and you're asking me if you're here to serve drinks. I was like, you know, when those things actually happen, I am so shocked that someone can even ask that. And I looked at her for a few seconds and I'm like, volunteer? She's like, oh, okay. So for for me, like when those things, that's why I was was asking you if if you're able to call it out because sometimes I'm, I'm so shocked that people actually think that way yeah, because yeah. you know you've you've lived in Ghana your whole life like nobody asks you stuff like that that you come here <laughs> it's like you are so surprised but yeah. anyway <laughs> so like I think maybe I figured out why I call it out less tell me I think it's because because like when you said that right I didn't have like a reaction of shock I had a reaction of like I completely understand why that woman said that. Why? Because racism. Because she probably thinks you're service dad. Because she probably has 
automatically subconsciously just like you know characterize you as like a certain thing and put mm. you in a certain box right? right so like that calculation just happened in my head like pretty quickly right mm. and like you know like unemotional because like not that it doesn't affect me but because I understand it and I understand that this is a systematic problem. This is not something that I can call out today and it'll have an effect. By all means, I encourage calling it out, but I think it goes beyond that. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? When you say it goes beyond that, I understand that it is I was I was listening to I don't know if you know Charlemagne the God. Yeah, he yeah, says, sure. "How do you regulate something that is in the heart of people?" racism yeah. right how mm-hmm. how you know you cannot regulate something that is in the heart of people you can ban all the guns and all of that and you still not you still can't control what's in the heart of people mm-hmm. and so i understand when you say it's a systematic thing where people have processed or over a very long period of time they have seen that oh these people fit these boxes so whenever For i sure. see such person you know mm-hmm. that is what you know my mind gravitates towards mm-hmm. But then again, you wonder what is the remedy for that? Like, I think I would rather call it out so that people become self-aware that, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I am being racist, yeah. you know, so that in that moment they realize that oh, I've said something that is wrong, because mm. I, I don't want you to leave feeling like what you said wasn't wrong, because you you will yeah. repeat that behavior, right? For so sure. I want to I want to show that scene. I mean, that's that's that. Hopefully, they don't repeat that behavior. You, yeah, but you sow the seed that you walk away because you, you hope that, well, if yeah. you sow that seed, you sow that seed, then it, it sort of brings some level of awareness. And that person, if, if the person is really someone who loves to think of their intentions right in the right way, they will say, mm-hmm. Let me reflect on that. Actually, what I said wasn't, why wouldn't I say that to a, a white person and, and say yeah. that to a black person? But anyway, let's talk about your book. Yeah. The Black Opportunity Conversations on Venture Capital and Afropian Entrepreneurship. Mm. Did you ever want to give up writing this book? My G. <laughs> like every two days. <laughs> <laughs> every two days, yeah. Why is yeah, that? Had, bro, like like I said, like um and it maybe has to do with the whole like eh, do i even like address those like you know mm. idiotic racist type of sentiments that like you're experiencing repeatedly like you know on any given day it's tiring right mm. and for me it was very like stressful to find out that all these things you've been feeling are true and worse Mm. Do you get what I mean? And like, so you're going through that, and then you're also going through. I'm not a venture capitalist. I'm not an entrepreneur that's made a billion dollars. Like, right. why should anyone listen to me? You yeah, know? yeah. So there's this that first component of just like you're writing about racism, you're writing about socioeconomic um, inequalities. That's tiring. You're writing about like something that you may not be qualified, quote unquote, to yeah. talk about. So those two things happening at the same time, like, you know, they make you question yourself. They make you want to give up. They make you cry. I cried. I'm not afraid wow. to, like, admit that man cried. But, you know, we got through it. I pushed through and it's out there now. How many years in the making is this book? One and a half years since I actually said, okay, I'm writing a book. Great. 
Is this your first book? Yeah. Wow. Major for a first book. <laughs> <laughs> Very major for a first book. Are you experiencing any form of, I mean, I know you said you're, you're experiencing some form of imposter syndrome during the writing. Are you still, mm-hmm. is there something you're still going through? Even at this point, even after, you know, you've, you've, the book has been accepted, you're having conversations about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Is that something you still experience? For sure. But I'd say I now have better tools to like work through that imposter syndrome. Mm. So I heard something really cool about imposter syndrome that like if you if you're experiencing it, it means you're in the right place. Mm. It means you need to be there exactly where you are where you're experiencing that imposter syndrome that's where you need to be wow and why because probably the thing that's making you feel that imposter syndrome is your strength and i have to credit charmaine hayden um she's a venture capitalist out there in the uk and ghana so i think she's between both places she's a founder of good soil vc and yeah um, this quote actually came from my uh, book when I had my interview with her and she said, you know, the place where you probably experience the most imposter syndrome is probably the place where your strength rece- reveals itself. Wow. Yeah. So it, yeah, for sure. So is it like your youthfulness in a room full of old people? Is it the fact that you're a woman in a room full of men? Is it the fact mm. that you're from the LGBTQIA plus community in, front, in a room full of just straight people, right? Mm. You, Because of those identities, because of those marginalized identities, because of those diverse identities, you have a different perspective of looking at things. Right. And it's especially relevant for business because you are able to identify opportunities that other people cannot. Absolutely. So that's how I now look at um, imposter syndrome. So it's like, yo, I'll feel it. It's like, yo, I'm on this board. uh, I I now sit on this board. I feel like so Mm. hard to qualify. But it's like, okay, yeah, that's a good thing to feel because I need to be here. It means like I'm pushing myself. I'm, you know, growing. Yeah. It it reminds me of something that uh, uh, one of my favorite pastors says, Pastor Stephen Furtick says, when you when you know to expect something, not 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 quoting him verbatim, but I think mm-hmm. he said when you, when you know to expect something, you deal with it better. And I think w- what I picked from that was if I know that imposter syndrome is gonna come when I write a book, for example, it's like mm-hmm. I'm better prepared to deal with it than to act like oh it's <laughs> never gonna happen. Like oh I'm fine, nah. I'm fine, I'm fine. Like I sort of expect it to happen, and I know I'm gonna deal yeah. with it. I know I'm gonna deal with it. So yeah very very good point you mentioned that yeah for sure it's all like you know shooting for the stars is always going to be hard you're always mm. going to be scared like it's never going to like be easy but yeah you can have a mindset and tools mantras that can help you manage your feelings in those moments right absolutely and when I think I was watching one of your interviews on, on YouTube and you said, I was inspired to write this book because there is a lack of people that look like me in these fields, fields that mm-hmm. I believe will shape the world for generations to come. I want mm-hmm. black voices to be included in that vision of the world. I want to see a world that includes products by and for them. Mm-hmm. What did you find was the most shocking re- reason why black voices are not included in these venture capital spaces in, in Belgium? Um, 
I think thinking back now, as you asked me that, I think I was more shocked by a phenomenon called the meritocracy, mm. right? So it's not meritocracy, but mirror. So like, you know, people being rewarded because they look like mm. me, right? Right. So because you, assuming that, you know, I'm a venture capitalist, you're an entrepreneur, um i went to oxbridge i went to cambridge uh, right. you went to cambridge like that's already like you know yeah change the ground. vibe mm. right like yeah i see you differently right yeah it was shocking to me that it has such a strong effect on whether someone invests in a company or not and it makes and it, and it makes kind of sense because what I also learned in the writing process is that investment is also like, whilst investors have all these due diligence formulas, all these processes, super complicated yeah. to evaluate opportunity. There's also an emotional side. 100%. There's also like an, a subjective side. And that subjective side is informed by what we know and who we know. Mm. And uh, what we know may not look like the opportunities being presented to us and who we know may not look like the person in front of us. Right. So that subjective component that is very present within investing is very susceptible to meritocracy, to bias. And the level at which those things happen was quite shocking to me. Like I knew, like I suspected like this was a thing, but like the numbers were quite shocking that proved it all. Yeah. And from an investor standpoint, uh-huh. you would think that, you know, the they are more profit driven than merit, merit, <laughs> meritocracy driven. Like yeah. I, I think of it as if I'm an investor, I don't care what you look like. I'm, I'm being very you know logical to the basic level. Yeah. Here. I don't care what you look like. I'm, I'm looking for money. I'm, I'm trying to see mm-hmm. where I can get high growth potential you know yeah and so i do my due diligence it looks like your numbers are right you can get growth in the next uh, five i don't know five to ten years i'm i'm good mm-hmm. I'm, I'm rolling with you mm-hmm. but it looks like, like you said there is a human bit to it that we do not mm-hmm. really consider yeah and like you said the numbers are staggering i do not want to say that this is a thing with only uh white people because i I want to pose this question this way. Do you think if black people mm-hmm. were, if, if we had switched roles, right? And it was black people who were dominant. Do you think there would still be that level of meritocracy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I think I'll uh, stop my answer to that question. Then. <laughs> um, because I think we'll go into like a lot of like, what ifs, maybes. Mm. Right. You know, all sorts of like, you know, mental acrobatics that, you know, will go and probably veer into like, you know, conspiracy theory. But, like, <laughs> right, right, right. And like, you know, there's no way to know, to be honest. Um, so I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm 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 not even trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand where your question is coming <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. from. To be I'm honest. trying to prove yeah, that to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to probe further to see if this is more about being human than being white. 
Do you get me? Like, I want to see, I want to understand the perspective that if I, Nana, were in an interview room interviewing black people and let's say 90% of black people and 10% of white people, I am seeing more black people who look like me. I'm able to relate with them. I ask them a question. Oh, so where are you from? Or, okay, what do you do? What school did you attend? Or they're like, oh, I, you know, I'm from Ghana. I attended high school. I did. And we're like, oh, we attended the same thing. So yeah. then, then we have more commonalities, right? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm asking myself, is this really a thing of, oh, white people being just outright racist? Yeah. Or it's a thing of, oh, they're human. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Human okay. people, humans. So I think it definitely exists within um, races too. Right. I think within races, like, oh, you're from my tribe. Oh, I'm from, ah, okay, let's see what we can do. You know? Right. Oh, you're from Ghana. Oh, you're from Ghana. Ah, let's see what must happen, you know? Um, those types of interactions happen, for sure. So, for sure. Like we said, it, there's subjectiveness, there's emotionalness, subjectiveness yeah. and emotional uh, behavior is part of being human. So, with that perspective that you just clarified yeah, yeah. definitely like it's definitely. definitely possible right right now let's let's i want to talk about I, I feel like the story of this is really two sides there's two sides to it there's the part of people who are running these vcs not allowing black voices in there and i think there's mm-hmm. also the side of black voices uh looking at themselves and saying okay what are we not doing right cuz right. i've been privilege to sit on a few panels to interview a few people and sometimes uh-huh. the people that look like me that come into the interview just do not do well yeah. like they just do not do well you know uh-huh. compared to other people and uh-huh. I, I want to ask you do you think in the black community in in belgium uh-huh. what do you think they should be doing they're doing wrongly that is not allowing them into these spaces or if are there any things that they are doing wrong or is, is, is strictly the fault of the other side of, of of the coin i think the fault is on both sides mm. um one like you know um on the investor side you know um investment teams aren't diverse so it's hard to see opportunity that you don't relate to i think that's definitely one thing and then on the investor side uh with the black founders in mind i think I have heard similar sentiments here in Belgium that, um, you know, um, immigrant founders tend to not be investor ready. So investor readiness being like, you know, knowing specific numbers, knowing specific language, knowing how to pitch in a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But then I always like to ask, okay, but why, why Mm. are they not investor ready? Whatever that means. Why are they um, not uh, pitching? Why are they not, quote unquote, prepared, right? Yeah. And um, some of my early findings is that there's a networking gap within the Black founder community Mm. and between, you know, Black founder communities and white investor communities. Some knowledge is passed down um, from generation to generation via familial relations. Right. It can also be passed uh, through networks of people that have gone to school together or mm-hmm. people that work together, et cetera, et cetera, right? So then you have groups of founders that, you know, 
know the language, know how to specifically speak about an opportunity and also have a for scale mindset as opposed right. to other groups, right? And I think those sort of like intangible uh, things that happen when people go out for a drink together or when people are part of the same golf club or when people, you know, mm. know each other through specific groups, that type of knowledge is so valuable. And I think Black communities aren't part of those communities to a large mm. extent. Yeah. So, so go ahead. The, yeah. Those things has follow on effects. They have domino effects. And I think, you know, through podcasts like this, um, people can become aware. People yeah. can like, you know, Google like, okay, what does being investor really mean? If they're an mm. entrepreneur, they can look those things up. Um, you can read my book too. I tried yeah. my best to deconstruct VC to also like explain the pitching process. And I think like through knowledge sharing like that, I think we can improve for some of those um, yeah. shortcomings. Yeah. I think w- what you've said is, is really striking because mm-hmm. I find that sometimes I've seen a, a, this in, uh, in some African communities um, mm-hmm. in the UK in China, where I studied for a while, we, st- we tend to stick to ourselves. So okay. we don't, we don't, we don't go into the rooms where it's like, you don't see a lot of black people. You go yeah. into certain rooms and you're like, I'm the only black dude here. <laughs> 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 and you wonder why, like we have to yeah. go into places that look like will not be welcoming to us, but you know, we, mm-hmm. we have to be willing to go into those uncomfortable spaces and say, okay, what are these people sharing that we never get to know of? Right. Because right. those are, like that is where like those high level conversations that we we're talking about happens. Like yeah, someone exactly. gives you a card and says, oh, follow up and, and let's talk more. And that becomes mm-hmm. a business opportunity. So I think we have 100%. to be willing to go into those places where, you know, we are not used to, but mm. we know that in the long run comes with some 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 benefit yeah. as well. And going in there together. Not mm. just like me, Nana, I'm yeah. going there. I want to create opportunity for myself. Yeah. I want to be the rock star of my community. No, we have to go together. And when we do make it to those spaces, we have to pull each other up. Brilliant. I think that just reminds me of something that Boosie Timber Choir said. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you know, he talks about, I think, the crab mentality. Mm. How people don't realize that people like Trevor Noah getting into those rooms is actually a way to bring other people along but people in essay be like oh we're pulling him down we're pulling like he's not really good like it's great that trevor is there because he gets to speak and you know other people get to join but anyway that's Mm. that's a whole different podcast (laughs) uh yeah let's let's talk a bit about um you working in in white dominated fields you work at impact shakers as a program associate is that a place that is is uh, dominated by uh, white people. Yeah. Um, so my two bosses, wait, one, two, three. Yeah. So my bosses like are white and from, I think, Middle Eastern descent. I think right. you should have to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, majority white, but um, diverse backgrounds. So like half Turkish, for right. example. Um, and they're all women right so yeah how comfortable do you feel working in in places where there aren't a lot of people that look like you so specifically for me and uh, this is not an employee bias (laughs) 
specifically for impact shakers like they have made it so comfortable for me mm. like they have so fun fact like how i actually even got that gig was that my boss bought and read my book and then wow. she reached out to me i think via linkedin or someone gave her my email and then she was like hey can i talk to you we talked we went for coffee and she's like hey do you want to work for me wow and i was like what and, <laughs> and she explained what she's doing what she's about and yeah i really uh, believe in her shout out to yonja i believe in impact shaker's mission and yeah i was more than happy to join the team because they get it yeah yeah i, I feel like they do yeah um they're serving so a little bit on impact shakers we're an ecosystem for diverse founders that are working on impact um companies impact problems um you know solving for impact issues all across europe so because of that focus that we have i feel like you know um they they do the work they do the yeah. reading they are constantly around uh, diverse people and you know that sort of comes with um knowledge and exposure that you know makes it more comfortable for diverse people to be around you so yeah that is great for my specific uh, role right now yeah um, they've made it beyond comfortable for me but i would say like in general like white dominated fields like white dominated yeah so like in terms of venture capital tech yeah like big uh, picture it is white dominated Mm. um there's nothing uh to say beyond that um <laughs> i also like live in a white country so yeah. i think uh being in a white dominate being in white dominated spaces is something i expected even before coming here yeah right absolutely i mean i asked that question because i wanted to ask uh, find out how you sort of navigate those spaces but i also love the fact that you acknowledge that they get it because i I think yeah. it's as much as we call out people who don't get it, we should also use that mm-hmm. same energy to acknowledge those who actually get yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. And so yeah, that sure. that is really, really, really important. Let's talk a bit about life after the book. What <laughs> what has changed? What has changed since I... the, the 9th of May 2021? <laughs> what, I think, yeah, I think that's what I saw. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So suddenly people think I know things about things. (laughs) (laughs) Master. (laughs) And they ask me to be on podcast. They ask me to be. Like this uh, one. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Like newspaper articles, blah, blah, blah. So that's been different. But um, what I'm super glad about, one of the most um, rewarding outcomes is that I'm seeing the book connect people. Mm. it's connecting people that are working on the same problem that I'm talking about talented people in tech in finance that wouldn't have otherwise met maybe they would have met but maybe it might have taken a longer time the book was a catalyst exactly maybe my book was a catalyst maybe it accelerated that meeting um I had my launch party I think uh, last month now 22nd of April yeah and that was super like interesting, cool, and just overwhelming to see like, you know, dozens of people just like, right. you know, they're connecting, you know, um, 
and those connections I'm already hearing are bearing fruit, right? Mm. They are programs, they are incubators that are coming out of that event. And, you know, that's life after the book for me. It's doing exactly what I wanted it to do in terms of connecting people, in terms of getting people to talk about the problem and getting people to create concrete solutions about the problem. Right. How do you feel about that? In your quiet moments, you know, when you're reflecting, yeah. what, what is that feeling like? It's crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, that actually <laughs> happened. But it's also like an overwhelming feeling of gratitude. Yeah. Like I am grateful for um, having, to be very honest, having the privilege to have seen that through. Mm. And I say privilege because, you know, um, and I think it's something I need to be better at acknowledging. So I have two parents. Um, I have a dad who um, has worked in the international circuits for the ILO, the International Labor Organization. I have both parents were pretty present in my life. Um, both parents uh, ensured um, I always had a good education. Mm. Um, they invested a lot in my education, maybe a little bit too much. but <laughs> <laughs> So I want to put those things out there to say I have had privileges that have allowed me to be in this place. Mm. And those privileges are of class, are of a two-parent household. Right. And without those things, I wouldn't have been able to do this. And I think it's a small way that I can give back to the community. Right. 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 And let's talk a bit about Zimbabwe. Yeah. How do you see Zimbabwe now? What 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 is your do you have any plans for it? Do you still follow the news that goes on in Zimbabwe? Mm. Do you plan to return sometime and marry a Zimbabwean woman or something what are your plans for Zimbabwe <laughs> Yo, that's a lot of questions yeah um, yeah I just I just dropped everything like that <laughs> no worries so Zimbabwe um, so first of all I love Zimbabwe I love Zimbabweans um, and secondly I haven't been keeping up with Zimbabwe as much as I used to and I think that's because I have found a purpose here and I found a place and a niche in which I can be valuable. So I've invested a lot of my time doing that. Right. So I haven't had the mind space to, you know, think about Zimbabwe, right? And I think that might be for the better because I think people in that diaspora have a tendency of, you know, always looking back, always mm. looking to see, okay, yeah, here I'm just doing school. I'm just going to work for a little bit and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back with my diaspora mindset and tell all these Zimbabweans, hey, you're doing it wrong. Mm. Follow me. I know what I'm doing with my, you know. I've seen the light. Belgian <laughs> education, blah, blah. You see, those types of mindsets, I don't think are the most beneficial I think um, there are Zimbabweans on the continent in the country that are smart, capable enough to solve for Zimbabwean problems, right? So that's one tangent I went on. Do I have plans on living there? Um, I don't know. Um, I'm a very like 
it depends on the circumstance kind of person. Mm. Um, I don't have like too far out like projections of where I want to be, what I want to do. Um, but I do have that like big purpose that like leads me. So if things make sense in terms of like the purpose and in terms of like the opportunities, the circumstances, yeah, I might find myself in Zimbabwe one day, only right. if it makes sense. Um, do I plan on marrying a Zimbabwean woman? <laughs> I wasn't thinking you answered that one, but hey, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> hey, man, I have to address all the questions, right? I love when it. I'm not Detailed. Being a good guest. Yeah. Detailed. Love it. Um, so currently, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Ooh, because, um, sorry, Zimbabwean <laughs> woman. You had it here first. So I've been in a relationship with the Belgian girl, um, woman now. Um, when we started dating, she was a girl, but now she's a woman. Uh, we've been dating for six and a half years, and yeah, that looks like it's a yeah, man. That's like a master's and PhD. (laughs) Yeah, sign the contract, lifelong thing. Like, (laughs) like I'm out the game. Right. This is the most informal thing I've ever asked by guess. I just realized I've never asked you about the relationship state. <laughs> I mean, it's a fun question. And like I said, I don't know, like uh, the guests weren't here for this, but I said, like, yeah, you can ask anything. I'm well, I mean, it's still great information because probably someone had their eyes set on you. So this is yeah. great awareness for someone. So yeah, if you're out there, sure. uh, Tino is, is taken. And I'm, I'm very sorry, but yeah, your Mr. Right is out there waiting for you. It's, it's just not Tino. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and finally, I want to ask you, how do you think all your work, actually two questions, if, if I may. Okay. How do you think all your work connects to um, the development of, Afri- of the African continent? One. And yeah. finally, what is your message to young Africans? Because this podcast is really geared towards the the young African community. So those two questions. Right. Okay. How does my work um, address the African community? So I'd say it doesn't have a direct link to the African continent itself, but I, it definitely has a link with the African diaspora. So yeah people that you know uh, moved here for whatever reason moved to europe to the us anywhere and are there have set up their homes here and see themselves here for the long term right um i think through um work like impact shakers through my book i am you know working towards diversified investor communities because i think you know if you diversify investors you diversify also the people that are being invested in, right? 100%. Because we talked about that meritocracy thing. We talked mm-hmm. about, you know, you can't invest in what you can't relate to. Right. Um, so that's where I'd say my work is focused on. If that has like, you know, domino effects of people reinvesting in the continent through that, that's perfectly fine. But I wouldn't say like I have yeah. a direct link to the continent myself. And then for young Africans, um, I'm a young African myself, I think. Um, so you think this advice, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take this advice like with that in mind. Um, but I think we just have to pay attention to everything, be interested in everything. Um, nothing is out of our reach. I think we need to be invested in things like the metaverse and things mm. like crypto in in tech in all those things because there is a place for us there and we should claim it and we should build 
there so is a place for us there mm. yeah. and we should claim it and we should build thank you so much yeah. tino for the work that you do thank you for being brave enough to write a book and just going through more than a year of back and forth and trying to figure out what to write and what not to write and editing yeah. and you know comments and feedback and going through all of that mm-hmm. it is an encouragement not to only those listening but to me currently because you know mm-hmm. i've got things in the works and i've got to pick them up i have to yeah, yeah. i've got <laughs> to just pick them up so that was one of the main reasons yeah. that i was really keen on on speaking to you so thank you for yeah. the work that you do i think that sometimes as as a creator of something people may not necessarily appreciate the work that goes into into it because just yeah. because they do not know right they just yeah, do not know for sure but yeah. you know what you've gone through over you know more than a year and yeah a hundred percent we see you we recognize you and we thank you so thank you thank I you appreciate man. that i'd also like to say thank you for the work you're doing thank you for spotlighting um, african voices thank you for speaking to the african youth uh thank you for all the hard work you do that isn't in front of the camera that isn't on audio that is behind the scenes i'm also grateful for everything you're doing man what a great way to end the podcast bye now Hey, thank you so much for staying to the end of this episode. If there was anything that was so helpful on this episode, I would love for you to do two things for me. First, please like, follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And two, please share this with another young African you think this will benefit. Or you can just post it on that WhatsApp group you're part of. We are trying to build a community for young Africans here and I would love for you to be part of it and also invite others to join. So thank you and see you next week Monday with another episode.